Welcome to the Unfriendly Podfinds. I am Caitlin Swika, your still delirious about the U Darvish signing after 24 hours Cub fan. And I'm here with Will Heckman Mark, the still delirious after seven, eight days uh, after the Super Bowl Eagles win. Will I, Heckman Mark. <laughs> I have now watched it on NFL Network four times uh, all the way through. And I got to say, it gets, it gets a little bit better with every viewing. I would ask if you've... Uh, gotten over the initial thrill yet, but no. uh, I know because every time that I walk in the house, you are somehow watching NFL Network. And it's somehow always on. I can tell your heart has really softened because yesterday I came home and you were watching the last, the Super Bowl, two Super Bowls ago, so the uh, Patriots-Falcons one. Yeah, because I knew that right after it was over, <laughs> and you were like, you were like, trust me, like, I know, I just am going to watch until the Falcons are up 28-3 to then turn it off. And I was like, but you're not going to enjoy it. You know the heartbreak that's about to come, but your little heart is so... Happy and optimistic that uh, you were watching it anyway. But the Patriots' comeback in that game just made this year's victory so much sweeter. I suppose it did, but I think for the good of the world, we all would have been happier if the, page, if the Patriots had lost uh, two years in a row in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. So, anyway, we are here today to talk uh, theoretically about baseball, um, and normally we'll get, we'll get to that. Later. Normally, I think we would. Uh, we can get to that later. Can't start we? with our baseball topics, but uh, I do feel bad as we'll literally. Uh, more than a week ago, told me we needed to record this podcast, and it's now been uh, eight days, I guess, since the Super Bowl, so uh, we should lead off with that. So, uh, Will, I will just give you the floor. Uh, tell me, again, what you're feeling and what you're thinking about how you're feeling. Well, I, I was down to record the, an emergency podcast uh, pretty much as soon as the game ended mm-hmm. after, I'd rather not say how many beers. Um, yes, my take after all of this, just absorbing... The greatness that has been the last eight days of the Eagles winning the Super Bowl is that I would like to uh, pose to you the question that is the Eagles winning the Super Bowl this year up there among the greatest, most storybook sports endings of our lifetime? You don't have to answer right now, but I want you to think about it as I lay out my case. So you start obviously with the city of Philadelphia being this like perpetual underdog. They've never won the Super Bowl ever. I've only been to the Super Bowl twice, including one loss to the Patriots. And the same kind of like blue collar us against the world mentality that Boston did before everyone hated them in 2004 when the Red Sox won. Um, You've got a second year coach and quarterback leading a team that went seven and nine last year. You've got, like Jason Kelsey said in his unforgettable uh, parade speech, where he basically just listed the entire Eagles roster and every reason that they were doubted or counted out or not believed in or called the most unqualified head coach in the history of the league. (laughs) Michael Lombardi. Jokes. Jokes. Um, But not only that, and then you've got the fact that you had injuries to Carson Wentz, you had injuries to Jason Peters, Darren Sproles, Jordan Hicks, pretty much... Every impo- they even lost their kicker for the first game of the season. So you had pretty much every major position. They had a huge injury. They overcame all this adversity to get to this one game. And not to mention the fact that it's just like the coolest group of dudes ever. Like Lane Johnson putting on his underdog mask. Jason Kelsey dressing up as a mummer and giving that speech. You had Malcolm Jenkins, who's just like one of the most charitable great advocates off the field for the NFL. You had all of that going up against the goddamn New England Patriots, the most evil 
sinister entity in all of professional sports. This machine, robot-like team with the greatest coach, greatest quarterback of all time that everyone hates. They cheat. They get away with it. And they still just rip everyone's heart out. RIP Atlanta Falcons. So even before you get into like just how amazing the game itself was, just the fact that you had all of that as like the backdrop and the storyline and the context of that game, that makes it the best, one of the best storylines in my sports life that I can remember. I mean, I'm trying to think strictly the NFL. Obviously, the Saints were a big one, which was you know a lot of factors outside of football that obviously played into that, but. Um... That was one, but I would say the Eagles were definitely helped along by the fact that uh, they did become America's team for the first time in their history, I would say. Um, I feel like Eagles fans are... It mo- became cool to throw ridiculed. snow at Santa. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for two weeks, the whole world was uh, behind Philly. So uh, that certainly made it a, a really fun watching experience, I think, for, for me and hopefully for many people out there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those are all great points, and it was a really uh, fun team to watch, for sure. The injuries they overcame were... I mean, just to think about, like, the day Carson Wentz went down, like, I remember we were watching that game, I was, like, in the kitchen doing something, and when he got the injury, and, I don't know, they beat the Rams that day, I believe, they but, did. uh, it did not, it was one of those victories that did not feel like a victory, um, things just felt dire, and then even as late, like, on Christmas, we sat there and watched, uh, Nick Foles play the Raiders, and God, it was, it it's was, painful. it was really bad. No, it was, it was painful. So that really erased any thought I had of the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. And even after they won, after they beat the Falcons in their first playoff game, like, it was like, all right, good. Now, uh, the, you know, you'll call it a success, like, the whole season. I think that was kind of your attitude. And, um, so then for them to come out and whoop the Vikings like they did was unbelievable. And then the Super Bowl was just, uh, yeah, that was, that was such a fun ride. Well, yeah, and then going into the game itself, I mean, first of all, you had arguably the greatest display of offensive football ever in the history of the sport. More, yeah, more, like more yards more yards than any other NFL game ever. Mm-hmm. Over 1,100 yards. You had Nick, Nick Bleepin' Foles <laughs> going punch for punch with Tom Brady, throwing touchdown, catching a touchdown, throwing touchdowns. Like, you had, you know, it was just back and forth the whole game. That Super Bowl prop bet of three, one team scoring three straight times, that did not happen. It was just both offenses were just running up and down the field. You had Dougie P and his just massive cojones calling arguably the boldest play call in Super Bowl history to go for it on fourth and goal before the half. Have a rookie running back take the snap, flip it to your third string tight end, and throw it to your... Really unathletic white quarterback, it's, Nick Foles. It's bold. I don't know if it's the boldest of all time. Because the worst case scenario is the Patriots get the ball through on one yard line with 30 seconds left. But right, you know, but it, it was amazing. It just changed the whole complexion of the game. Because you figure, like, okay, if they kick a field goal there, they go up. They're up six of the half, even though they've dominated like the whole first half. The Saints onside kick. Right. It was, yeah, no, I, I would compare it to that. It was, I would say that's also up there. But just, like, you had that moment, and then... The fact that, like, I went back and watched on NFL Network, of course, and that they called that play. They had ran it. They had introduced it into their playbook three weeks earlier. They had ran it in practice three times, according to Corey Clement. And Nick Foles just walked up to Doug Peterson and was like, hey, you want to call You want to call this play? You want to call Philly special? Philly, Philly. And he was like, uh, okay, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that was a badass uh 
a badass clip from the mic'd up or whatever they call it in the NFL. Yeah, and then the fact that you had it after all that, after all the offense, to have it come down to, like we talked about on the last podcast, have it come back to Tom Brady has the ball with two minutes left. Can the Eagles yeah. defense finally make one defensive play? Well, the amazing play? thing was it got him to fourth down, and it was like, all right, just like do this and it's over. And then, of course, he freaking converts, and then oh, I really thought they were going to catch that Hail Mary. Well, even before that, when, when they're up five, and if they score a touchdown, they go down, they win the game. If you were an Eagles fan and you were not shit, if you said in that moment that you thought the Eagles were legit, like legitimately believed they were going to win that game, you were full of shit. There is no way. I was pooping my pants when Tom Brady had the ball with two minutes left, down by five, after the way they had moved the ball up and down the field. And to have Brandon Graham come in and get the strip sack, you went crazier than I did on that play just because it was so surprising. Because I hate Tom Brady, mostly. I mean, I was rooting for the Eagles. I'm happy for you. But I had a very visceral reaction to seeing Tom Brady finally get freaking sacked. It was amazing. The the image of after that play of Tom Brady just disappointedly sitting on his also, ass with my, his head in his hands will will be burned in my brain forever. I think my favorite uh, visual was uh, the ball is out and he still pretends like he has the ball like he hasn't realized yet and he like does the whole really dramatic throwing motion. I don't know if what he was trying to he was trying to get a called incomplete or something, but uh, it was pretty. Oh, no, that's just like that just happens when they like slow down the replay that much. Like he's trying to throw the ball forward. It's like oh, oopsie doopsie, no no ball here. It was. Was, yeah, that was a beautiful. It was unbelievable. It was. Well, congratulations to you and your Eagles. I'm very happy for you and happy for America that we don't have to deal with uh, the Patriots having a sixth Super Bowl. Well, we do still have to deal with the freaking Patriots because Josh McDaniels goes ahead and just backs out of the Colts job and basically loses the Eagles, their offensive coordinator. If, if the Patriots, you know, I think it's assumed that the Patriots are basically handing him the reins after Belichick, but... Uh, you gotta think if so. something happens with that, he's never getting another head coaching job again. So I hope he's happy with his choices. No, because the NFL, there's just no integrity among any of the teams, and they realize that Josh McDaniels is probably better than whoever their head coach is. So someone will hire him. Well, whatever. Anyway, so now that I've talked for <laughs> a really long time and I'm out of breath, talk about the halftime show, Justin Timberlake. Oh, oh my goodness. Aggressively mediocre would be the best way <laughs> to describe that halftime show. Look, I am a child of the 90s, born in 91, so uh, I was a pretty perfect age for the whole NSYNC heyday. Loved NSYNC. Um, not as much as some others, but, you know, I do appreciate their art. And uh, appreciate a lot of Justin's earlier work. I have a lot of, you know, memories, middle school and high school associated with the early, you know, sexy back, uh, rock your body, etc. But, uh, I don't know. Leading up to the Super Bowl, there were a lot of uh, think pieces out there on the internet about... Uh, how Justin Timberlake gets to do this again, and yet Janet Jackson's whole career was basically ruined by Nipplegate, even though uh, it was him that pulled her, you know, top off. Well, it was her so, nipple. <laughs> so once I thought about that, even though advocate. I personally have never been a big Janet Jackson fan, but I did think, hmm, that's kind of BS. And then I listened to Justin's new album, which came out a couple days before the Super Bowl, and it is, like, not even, like, mediocre would be a, a generous Aggressively mediocre, you would, you would call it? No, I would call it aggressively just not good. It's not. Wow. Wow. Uh, I so mean, you think he didn't deserve to play the halftime show? I then? just, I mean, he obviously has a great catalog. I just, I, it was an uninspired choice to me. Like, think about the last few years. We had Lady Gaga last year, which even if she's not your cup of tea, you have to admit, she goes all out for every performance. Like, she's creative. Like, every time she performs, you're like, what is Lady Gaga going to do? Um, the last five years or so, we've had, you know, Beyonce, the Queen, 
I don't even need to get into that, but it was the greatest. We can do a whole other podcast about Green um, Bay, and I'm sure <laughs> you know, we will at some Katie point. Katy Perry, who did a lot of memorable stuff, even if her her music is very bland pop, but I thought you know, and also I thought with with all those acts, they kind of caught them like at the right time. Like Katy Perry was still like the queen. Like if you got Katy Perry now, it would be like really, but. The NFL is doing a really good job of picking people like right when they're kind of at the height of popularity. At their peak. And yeah. Justin, it seemed like they're kind of plucky. I mean, I get that he has a new album coming out, but he hadn't had an album in a long time. Um, just, you know, I don't know. And I just felt like he went out and did a medley. He did that smug little thing during Rock Your Body where he kind of alluded to the Janet Jackson thing, which I thought was rude. Just, you know. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. So the line. Did he, like, rip a no, fake shirt off? No. Or? Well, so the line in which he ripped her shirt off was, um, Better have you naked by the end of the song, or whatever. Oh, and, God, he did. And uh, this time, when he sang Rock Your Body, which was the second song he sang, uh, when he got to that line, he said, uh, hold up, and then he just, like, looked at the camera and smirked, and I was like, F you, Justin, everyone, whatever. I don't know. I just thought, like, it was fine. Um, also, then at the end, he, like, awkwardly went into the crowd, which I guess was supposed to be awesome, but first of all... I don't get that hype. Like, it's you're like the people who are in the first ten rolls of the Super Bowl are like some of the richest people on earth. So you're like, oh great, he's dancing with a twelve year old who's but, yeah, really awkward selfie kid. <laughs> his who's allow- never gonna know someone, how to explain how awkward he was to his future children. Someone tweeted like that kid's allowance is probably more than my rent for the entire year. I'm like, yeah, these people are you know. Also, I think the kid's from Massachusetts, which makes him even more unlikable. Was he wearing a, like, a Brady jersey see, or something? Like, I, I don't like remember. A hoodie on, so I didn't see him wearing anything of either team. But uh, hmm. yeah, I assume I mean if he was from Massachusetts. The odds are. But anyway, well, yeah. that kid was, like, probably, what, 12? Did he know who Justin Timberlake really was? Like, Timberlake hasn't had an album in, like, five or six years, I don't think. I don't know. It was just awkward. It just seemed like he was a little over the hill, and, like, <sighs> it was fine. I just... Apologies to friend of the pod, Connor Higgins. We got a little heated texting, arguing about this uh, at halftime. No, I, I will not apologize. He had an <laughs> indefensible opinion. He actually called it the best Super Bowl halftime show that of this ridiculous. decade. I mean, if you want to say you enjoyed it, that's fine. Like, it was a perfectly of enjoyable decade. Event, but that's ridiculous. And then, that, I didn't even get into the whole Prince thing, which, whatever. That Prince. was weird. I, well, so I had heard that they, like, the whole hologram thing, mm-hmm. like, they wanted to do it, and that was the plan, and then it got vetoed by Prince's well, camp. Sheila E., who was, like, Prince's... Girlfriend, friend? I gotta be honest. Don't know we're all about talking. facts on this podcast. Anyway. So we're just gonna <laughs> guess. She a close personal friend of Prince. Uh, apparently Prince had like specifically told her like when, you know, when they started like talking about holograms, like they had a Tupac hologram at uh, Coachella that one year. That does seem like a, re- I've been wondering this, like that's a really specific thing to have that strong an opinion about. Like why was he, he so like, anti-hologram? I think it is something to do with his religion and he said it was like demonic and he like felt like it was like creepy. Like when someone's dead, you shouldn't try to like bring them back as a hologram. I don't know. Again, I'm just kind of talking out of my butt here. I didn't. Like, Does he know that when you get recorded, like doing things, that's gonna live forever, even even if don't you know. don't? Like that video yeah. is gonna. I think it was very obvious that a plane got scrapped last minute because they were like, yeah, "Oh crap! For sure. uh, we're just gonna put a big, big sheet up here and put Prince's picture on it." That's not a hologram, right? So anyway, apparently him and Prince like didn't get along when Prince was alive. So I mean, I I can't blame him for that because I feel like he had to do something. It was in Minnesota, but it was just like a forced, yeah. awkward, like not very thoughtful yeah. tribute. So. Anyway, the good thing is that uh, when I'm ranking future Super Bowl halftime shows, that will have its place in the Pantheon pretty low. Um, I, it was... Slot it right into it that was, bottom. You know, and yeah. the real crime of our of our time... I can't believe I just called it a crime. The real sad thing about uh, Super Bowl halftime shows in this day and age is that the most obvious Super Bowl performer of our generation has not... Well, I shouldn't say most. Besides Beyonce. Has not yet gotten a Super Bowl. You almost slipped there. And, <laughs> and love her hater, Taylor Swift is a cultural... She's an icon of our time. 
And she won't do the Super Bowl halftime show because she has a sponsorship deal with Coke or Diet Coke and uh, Pepsi sponsors the halftime show. Like, can we not work this out, people? Can you give it to Coke for one year? Like, just let Taylor do it. Well, yeah, the, the Pepsi uh, contract on the sponsorship of that halftime show has got to run out someday. Yes. And you know, so, I mean, you're not a huge Taylor fan, but I think you could probably agree I, that she would do something interesting. I recognize show. her. Pl- I don't even know that she would do something interesting. I just recognize her place in the I feel like she always, pantheon or, of pop culture yeah. at the moment. Like, yeah. there's no, she's easily in the top three of most yeah. popular slash polarizing artists. So, yeah, I mean, I think she's always had really big stage shows, even when she was a country person. So I think she would more get it. That was my other objection. When you're at the Super Bowl, you you have a huge budget. Like, you're never going to have the, this big of a budget. Do something fun with it. And Justin was like, I'm just going to dance around a little, maybe go in the stands. He did that weird thing at the beginning where he was, like, underneath the stadium, which I didn't think was that cool. Like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't expect you to ask me about this, and now I've been ranting for a really long time. Are there <laughs> other Eagles things you would like to talk about? Um... A, a couple of other quick questions I had about the game for you. Um, that was like 10 minutes. Well, no, no. Well, okay, about the actual game. Yeah. Um, to give the folks a little bit more of, a, of an insight maybe into our mm-hmm. relationship and our sports uh, insanity. So we don't really watch that many important baseball postseason games together, like when the Cubs or Cardinals are in there. We'll watch all the other ones, but yeah. We'll watch regular season games. Well, we'll watch other playoff games together, but not ones we have a very strong personal stake in. Exactly. So this is probably one of the most peak crazy times that you've seen me at as a sports fan with, obviously since we're both Mizzou fans, we'll both be peak crazy during Mizzou games. But for this one, you were just a semi-neutral observer mm-hmm. watching me lose my mind for four hours. <laughs> Talk to me about how you're feeling about what you, <laughs> about what you thought seeing, oh, uh, seeing mean, that. I, I did not have any problem with uh, your insanity. It was nothing worse than what would I would have done. It probably was tamer than what I would have done if it were, you know, a team that I had, you know, invested in, an emotional stake in. Um, I think the most crazy, like, towards the end, especially on that last drive, I think you threw, took off your cap, threw it across the room when Brady completed one of those passes, and then you got it back on, and then a few plays later you threw it again because Brady completed another like wide open pass, which is kind of understandable. But the entertaining part to me was well, they that they had to get the message eventually. So we watched at home to keep our little juju going because we had watched uh, the first two playoff games at home. We did. Um, we challenged the juju, and thankfully it did not get messed up by uh, inviting inviting sister, other humans, sister Julia and brother in law Ben over. Ben, huge Vikings fan, as we've mentioned, uh, he was rooting for Philly, thankfully, just because the the uh, Patriots are that evil. Uh, your sister was really just there for the snacks, which I respect, uh, and the commercials, I will say. But uh, by the end of the game, she was alarmed. Like she was. <laughs> I don't understand this. She's seen me like watch sports for yeah. well, over a decade now. I think she was. You know, she had watched Ben's sadness the week before, and now it was just a lot to have in uh, back-to-back games, <laughs> or two weeks ago, I should say. So, so. Um, no, I don't feel any differently. I felt like it would be weird if you weren't that reactionary. It was the Super Bowl, and it was like a one-score game the entire game, pretty much, and in the fourth quarter. And, I think I um, only threw my hat like. Maybe three times yeah. throughout the whole game. And then, like, as you mentioned, on the Brady strip sack, we were both going equally crazy. And then even on the last play, I mean, you were going a little crazy, but I think we both talked about, like, 
there were like nine or ten seconds left when that play started, so I, I know right. I didn't. No, no one knew the game was over. I didn't notice over. the game was over until Al Michaels was like, ah, and time ran out. Well, Al Michaels <laughs> didn't seem to know either. Even, like, I've listened to that call now a million times, and he's just like, and it's, and it's batted around, and it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. And then he like, clearly is taking a few seconds to look around and look up at the call. Even yeah. the players, you yeah. see, like, they're not celebrating right yeah. away. They're, like, starting to walk back, and it's like, oh, crap, the game's over. Yeah. So, anyway, no, I, I was not... Uh, especially alarmed in anything you did. Speaking of alarming sports things we did <laughs> this weekend. Do we have to? <laughs> I, I think I think the people who may not know us as well once uh, you know the the ma- the masses of millions start to listen to this podcast, they're gonna want to hear this gem of a Caitlin story. Um, so I'll just set I'll just set the context for you of uh, the Mizzou basketball game on Saturday, a home game against Mississippi State to Pretty comparable, sort of probable NCAA tournament slash bubble teams. So a fairly important game, but, you know, it's a regular season college basketball game. So not the end of the world. Mizzou's ahead by 12 with about a minute and a half, two minutes to go. And they proceed to struggle mightily to get the ball inbounds against press defense. Uh, Turn the ball over a few times, and lo and behold, Mississippi State scores 12 straight points and forces overtime. And this upset Caitlin <laughs> to a degree which I did not think possible from a regular season college basketball right. game. Caitlin, would you like to take the people through what some okay, of your I responses just, I got were? I angry. I threw a few things around. I did what not kinds of things? I didn't break anything. I don't know. I threw my phone, which is fine. I throw my phone a lot. You can break it from. It hasn't broken yet. This thing is beautiful. It's rock okay. solid. What else did you throw? I, I just went in the kitchen. I found like a granola bar. I threw it at the wall a bunch of times. It feels really good to throw things sometimes when you're mad. See, now if anyone listens to this, they're going to think I need anger management. And like, What else did you throw? Oh, Elmo? Yes. <laughs> Our poor, dearly beloved Elmo doll that your parents because I knew so him. lovingly gave us as an homage to your favorite childhood char- TV character. And what did you... How just, did you abuse him? I threw Sure, because I knew it wouldn't break anything. Why? Because he had it coming. I was just trying. Is to he get, talking back no, to you? I'm just trying to get my aggression out without breaking anything, and I succeeded in that. And then Mizzou went into overtime and won the game. And anyway. won the game anyway, you guys. But I just want to defend myself. You're, they're making it seem like it's not an important game. Like at this point for Mizzou, every game is important. This is the first. So uh, I went to Mizzou not knowing much about Mizzou, so it's not like I grew up rooting for them. So I've been a Mizzou fan for. Eight years now, about. Yeah. Um, this is the first year I would say that they've been a bubble team, pretty much. Like Our every, senior year was pretty... I guess, but by the end, it was pretty clear that they weren't going to... Like, sure. for a while. But this is, like, the bubble team. And then also the news has just come out that Michael Porter Jr. is going to try to play. So, I'm feeling more stressed in these games than I usually do. Like, the first few years that we went to Mizzou, we were for sure a tournament team. Then the last few years have been terrible. And now, I'm having a new experience here. And, uh... We've had some games that we threw away that we shouldn't have, and I felt we needed this win. So that's why I got frustrated. And now they won four in a row. Thank you. Uh, this is not what we came here to talk about. <laughs> I, if anyone uh, is listening and, and, and does uh, want to, to weigh in on this, uh, for the overtime, I banished her from the TV and watching room. You know and what? it worked. So yeah. the question then is, is Caitlin allowed to watch Mizzou basketball for the rest of the season? I would Let's see what happens tomorrow. I don't want to watch all these games by myself, but I I also understand the power of Juju having just gone through this with the Eagles mm-hmm. of three straight weeks of ordering Domino's, watching the game at home, <laughs> and wearing the same clothes. So, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to leave it up to chance. All right. Well, there's a game tomorrow night. I'm going to be at my parents probably going to watch it. So, uh, 
let's see what happens, and then we can can make a further decision. Uh-huh. Moving on. Yes. Um, so this this uh, this is finally going to bring me. This is the last Eagles related topic we're going to talk about. Um, obviously, I could talk about this for years, but um, this is going to finally bring it around to baseball. Um, so I've been talking about started the show by arguing that this was this Eagles run was one of the greatest sports just championship stories of our lifetime in professional sports. For context, that's probably starting around what like. 1998, 99? I mean, that's the first year I would have been even a little cognizant, yeah. I would say I wasn't fully a sports fan until a little later, but that's a fair number. Okay. So I would say other than maybe, like, the 08 Giants, who beat that undefeated Patriots team mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I would probably put that above the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Other than that, though, can't really think of one for the NFL. But since this is a baseball podcast, and we know much more about baseball, got me thinking about... The greatest sports baseball championship storybook runs of our lifetime. I came up with the top five. I'm going to list them off in no particular order. I'll just list them in chronological order. 2001, Arizona Diamondbacks. Epic World Series win over the New York Yankees post-9-11. The 03 Marlins got into the playoffs as the wild card. Um, overcame a three games to one deficit in the NLCS, which... We can famously relive for hours on this podcast if, uh, if that's what the people want. And then beat the Mighty Yankees in the World Series, sort of at the toward the tail end, but still very much at the, the height of their powers. The 04 Red Sox, of course, their great comeback against the Yankees, and then they played a World Series and everyone forgets what happened, except they won. Uh, the 2011 Cardinals, a team that uh, overcame the largest regular season deficit um, at the latest point in the season, in the uh, modern postseason era, to win the World Series in very dramatic fashion. And then the 2016 Cubs, who uh, won the World Series for the first time in a, in a very long time, and after uh, a great history of hilarious but lovable ineptitude. So, five to one, what do you got? All right, well... I'm not subjective, as we know. Or I'm not objective. Um, sorry, I'm really drunk. Or good at talking. <laughs> okay. As a subjective person, obviously, I love my cubbies. Um, I would say it is a tough call for number one between the Red Sox and the Cubs. Because I'm a person who likes to bring in all the context. Um, and those two, just the weight that they carried with them, the like, you know, both fan bases, like anyone from those fan bases who was alive at that time, like, Nothing will ever top the 2016 Cubs for me. Nothing will ever stop the 04 Red Sox for Red Sox fans. Um, at least, you know, of people who were alive at that time. Um, so we'll just come back to that. So those two are in some order the top two. 1A and 1B. Um, Cardinals, solidly number three because of, you know, the factors you said coming back from that. I mean, we went to a game Labor Day weekend that year in St. Louis. And I wasn't even, like, really rooting much against the Cardinals. I was like, whatever. They're not going to make the playoffs. They were eight or nine games back at that point. I was like, this is fine. Whatever. Like, had I known what I knew now, I would be very voraciously rooting for the Reds. But, uh, no. So, like, that was amazing to do that. And then the way they ran, I mean, the Phillies and the playoffs. and The the Brewers weren't, it wasn't that great of a series. But, yeah, the World Series was great. So, I put that solidly number three. And then the other two... I think I would rank probably the 01 Diamondbacks because that was just such an amazing World Series in the context of like the post 9 11 everything. And then 
Those three Marlins because they're F that team. <laughs> they don't have fans. They don't but they fans. had Derek Lee. You love Derek Lee. They don't Lee. deserve anything. I do love Derek Lee who then became a Cub and never won with the Cubs. But anyway, so that's how I would rank those. I'm not going to argue. I'm trying to think if there's any others that should be considered. I mean, the Astros last year, we haven't had a lot of time to process it. They did play some really – I mean, the ALCS was really good last year with the mm-hmm. Yankees and obviously with the context of the Hurricane. The World Series had some amazing games in that's it. That's true. Um, it ended in a really boring fashion, which is what I think takes the edge off. Like, Game 7 was boring. Yeah. I mean, um, it, yeah. It was like, an anticlimactic games end. Games 2 and 5, though, were like two of the greatest baseball games I've ever watched. Like, yeah, I, one of I, which you slept through. <laughs> I I regret nothing. I'm sure I woke up that morning very refreshed, and I'll remember how refreshed I felt for the rest of my life. Uh, whereas other people will also, remember where they were watching that game. As you were going to bed, because you said this game's over, it's three nothing, and Kershaw's in the mound, and I yelled as you were in the other room, Kershaw gave up a three run homer, and you chose to go to bed anyway. So let the record show. Anyway, back to the conversation at hand. Uh, Cubs and Red Sox. I know, as a Cub fan, what my answer is. Um, if I'm trying to be objective about it, I mean, I guess it's like, which story do you prefer? So the, the Red Sox are compelling because they had to take down, you know, their huge enemy. Whereas the Cubs did did make... So I felt like the Cubs had to get over the mental hump of the Cardinals, but they did it a year earlier. They did it in 2015 and then lost in the next round. And so they kind of like came into 2016 having already vanquished... The Cardinals, whereas the Red Sox had not yet gotten to the realization, like, we can beat these guys. And so, yeah, obviously, like, I think that as a seven-game series, if you're just isolating that series, is the greatest ever. But the Cubs were on. First of all, people forget the Cubs were very close to being forced into a Game 5 against the Giants, against Johnny Cueto, who would pretty much dominate us in Game 1. And we only won because... But you won that game. Because John Lester matched him pitch for pitch, and Javi Baez got a hold of one after he had already thrown about 110 pitches. I mean, the, the Giants' lack of bullpen cost them that game, and that was one of the craziest innings I've ever watched. Well, it cost them the game four as well. I mean, that cost them in the ninth inning. They were up three runs going into the ninth, and then they ran what out of... team are you talking about? The Giants. Against the Cubs. Yeah. Talking about their bullpen. Yeah. Well, it's like, that's the game I was talking about the whole time. Oh, I thought, yeah. I thought you were talking about game one as well. Oh, no. I was just saying that the Cubs came very close to a game five being forced, and then, yeah, they're... Uh... Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, the bullpen kind of cost them both games in a different way. And then... The Dodgers series, I know that they won it in six games, and I know they won three straight to finish that off. But games two and three were just felt like they couldn't get a hit. Even, like, game four, Ben Zover said to ignite the offense with a bunt and turn things around. And then even once it was 2-2 in game five, like, it took a long time in that game for their bats to get going. Um, so I know it wasn't the most dramatic series, but as a Cub fan, like, it had some very serious, like, moments when I thought the season was over. And then, obviously, the World Series was amazing. So... I would put the Cubs ahead of it, especially because the Red Sox, once they got to the World Series, I don't know, they played some, like, really weak-ass NL team that year. and uh, uh, just... A 105-win <laughs> team, more wins than the Cubs have had in a regular season since Roll 19, who cares? Right over them. Um, so I think if you take the whole playoff run, I would put the Cubs first. But, I mean, I would accept an argument for the Red Sox. So the argument that I would make for the Red Sox, and I pretty much agree with your 5-3, through three, I Put the Marlo- would put the Marlins five. I only wanted to include them there because I wanted to mention the 3 NLCS again because I'm a petty human being who can't just uh, live with the fact the that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Could make a case for that. Yeah, no, I think in, I think in time we might uh, look back and add them to that list as well. Um, yeah, I would put the Diamondbacks fourth. Um, you know, they were the best team in the National League that year, so it wasn't uh, you know very miraculous that they got to the World Series. They pretty much dominated every game of the World Series against the Yankees. It was just the fact that. 
those two games in New York and then obviously the last game in Arizona ended so spectacularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the, the post 9-11 context that kind of gives that the, uh, the memorable factors of, uh, of that season. And yeah, I think the Cardinals number three. Um, I could, do, I could do a whole podcast talking about how much I love that entire postseason and everything that, that went into it. Um, and that would have been more – it would have challenged for a higher spot if it had been a team that wasn't as successful as the Cardinals and they had just won it, you know, five years before. Sure. But I think in the context of a single season, like one year sure. run, mm-hmm. I would argue that that would probably be 1B behind the Red Sox. Because uh, kind of like you said, with the Cubs versus the Red Sox, I think what pushes the Red Sox over the top is that they did do it all in one season, especially coming off the heels of the Aaron Boone home run the year before, which is you know about as devastating a blow as you could possibly face from a fan base. Yeah. And I know obviously the Cubs getting swept by the Mets like that sucked, but it wasn't that sad because we knew you, we were going to be better yeah, next year. You, you saw it coming. They still had this like. None of the games were particularly close, and they still had this whole big championship window. Mm-hmm. Whereas for the Red Sox, it's like they just can never get over the Yankees. No matter how big their window seems to be, the Yankees are always right there, and they always get the best of yeah. them. And honestly, in, in 2015, by the way, the Royals might have something, some, some role in this conversation. But, but again, it took them like two years. Like that first run was so miraculous of like them winning the wild card game. Yeah. And then like the second year was an good World playoff run, but yeah, the first year was an amazing playoff run, and then taking it to Game Seven. Anyway, we were talking about the Cubs, the, the Red Sox. Yeah. Well, so that's why I'm putting it as one B. <laughs> it's just because the Red Sox were able to basically do what the Cubs did to the Cardinals, but in ten times more epic, dramatic, yeah. spectacular fashion, and continue to go the rest of yeah. the distance. If you could take a time off. machine back to the day after the Cubs beat the Cardinals in 2015, I was positive we were going to win the World Series because of that reason. Because I was like, this is our, like, Goliath, and we just slayed them, and now there's no way we can lose to the Mets. I'm going to win the game. Yes, John Lackey was a mighty Goliath. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> That was, that was, all the memories are coming back. I'm getting sentimental. I was looking uh, yesterday at some, some Instagrams from back when the Cubs, uh... So moving on to yeah. baseball topics before uh, Caitlin gets sentimental, which could make this podcast last another two drinking hours. Out, drinking out of my World Series Champions glass. Never forget. And maybe I will have another one to add to the collection this October. Hmm. I think, uh, I don't know. I think there might be someone who has something to say about that. It's the biggest off-season news of the weekend. That's right. The prohibitive NL Central favorites just signed a new pitcher. Bud Norris, <laughs> coming to the Cardinals. One-year deal. Going to relieve the shit out of some games and be put in terrible spots all year by Mike Matheny and fail. Uh, yeah, I guess. Big news of the weekend, right? <laughs> so we're done with baseball. So, so That's it for uh, the podcast. So what's the over-under on how many times this summer? Regular season, will I say you in the Soldier Boy voice? So 30 to 32 starts? Sure. Okay. Let's say he has a little bit of an injury history, but we'll give him 30 starts. Per start, probably at least three times. It's got to be like every strikeout, (laughs) every time he gets out of a jam. So I'm going to say like... Just shy of 100. Yeah. Somewhere between, right. somewhere between 75 and 100. I would 100, say it might get closer old, to but I don't think it's going to get old for me. To some. <laughs> so, yeah. It has already yeah. reached in, that point. In case anyone is possibly still listening to this podcast and doesn't know what we're talking about, the Cubs did sign you, Darvish, this weekend. Um, six years, 
125 million, so it's a 21 million per year hit. God, it's weird that baseball has kind of a salary cap. Golf clap on the mental math. Yeah, I know no, how I, totally I know that's a that struggle right for you sometimes. But. Somewhere. Um, was reading a little more about it today. Um, there's a few escalators that it could get up to 150, but it would have to be something like you would have to like finish in top five of Cy Young voting multiple times. Like it's he's probably not going to hit all of those. And then I believe there's an opt out actually after two years. Um, but I was reading somewhere. I think even if he opts out after two years, does the Cubs you still have to be? Ha- I mean, basically, bottom line is that like this is the window right here. And once you get a few years down the road to, like, 2021, 2022, it's when you have to start paying all these infield guys, and obviously I don't think the Cubs are going to be able to pay all of them. Um, now, hopefully they can keep Rizzo and Bryant. They are the heart and soul of the city. But, uh, you know, you, you've got to seize on this while you can, while you still have all these uh, guys that depress salaries. And We want to add that Mitch Trubinsky is also the heart of the city. <laughs> Not yet. One A, B, and C. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think uh, – you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, I wasn't as gung-ho about you as some Cub fans were. I, For sentimental reasons, um, I kind of was hoping they would go back to Arietta. Uh, you know, just because he's, he's a Cub. Like, it's going to be really hard to watch him in a different uniform next year, and this pretty much closes the door on, on the Jake Arietta possibility. Um, but I would trust Theo Epstein with my life. And the fact that he thought that you, Darvish, was the better choice here makes me feel okay. And this was the one glaring hole in the roster. We were going into spring training with Mike Montgomery as the fifth starter, which might have worked out, but that's a huge gamble. And when you're as big market a team as the Cubs are, and you have this window right here, you have to be aggressive. And so I'm happy to see the Cubs did that, even if they ended up adding a few more years than you really want. But who cares? You have They have a ton of money. I don't care. It's not my money. Well, yeah, so even – so, I mean, it, it seems like a good situation, though, for them because I didn't even know that he had a two-year uh, – Actually, yeah, two yeah. I just read that today. So, like – on one side of the coin, he's probably not going to be able to make more money in two years. Like, how much, how studly can he possibly be in the right. next two years I mean, unless the compared to what he's shown so up. far? Unless the market corrects whatever wonky thing is happening to it and salary somehow starts. Well, yeah, up, I mean, but... next next free agency class will be yeah. kind of set, setting the market for the next few years. Yeah. But so, on one side of the coin, there's a slim chance that I think I think Darvish can earn more money in two years by going right. so, or significantly more money. But then you're money. happy with it because hopefully yeah. by then you've developed another starter and right. And then even yeah, even if you do have to cut him loose, like and that means you've gotten two great years from him. And he's going to be thirty three, thirty four. He's thirty one now. Okay, so he'll be thirty three by the end of that deal. Sure. And you don't want to sign. You probably don't even want four more years of him after at right. that point. Anyway, yeah. I, honestly, it might be the ideal situation with the Cubs is that he pitches really well, thinks he can get more money, and then opts out, but. Probably not the most likely scenario, but, uh, yeah. So where does yeah. Jake Arrieta go now? It's, you know, a lot of rumors that are kind of linking him to <laughs> Milwaukee and St. Louis, but I can't tell Ooh. if that's just, that would hurt my heart the most. Well, we, we, um, we did, we're done in the free agent pitching market. I you, think you got we, my doors. We made our big splash. <laughs> I think we're ready um, to rest on our laurels after, saw, after that coup. I saw Minnesota as a possibility today. Um, that doesn't. Doesn't that seem like that's impossible. Honestly, I kind of feel like it's going to end up being one of the Texans. Well, probably not the Astros now if they trade for Cole. Somehow, I yeah. just feel like he's going to go to Tech. Like, he seems like a Ranger. Like, he's from, he went to high school in the Dallas area. Shout out Plano. Um, oh, yeah. yeah he, he went to one of the Plano. Shout out Rex Burkhead, Super Bowl runner-up. And, uh, I don't know. Or, weirdly, could see if the Angels decide they want to spend a little more money. For some reason, I feel like he'd go to I the can Angels. see that one. Yeah. That's just, I, and I just pay that based on no 
No, but you can just, like, right. like, I just picture him in an Angels yeah. uniform wasting away the rest of his career <laughs> on just really bad teams. I think Angels will be interesting this year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like the Dodgers are ready to shell out any money. Um, well, they were the other big player for yeah. Darvish. And I'm hearing, so. I've seen, like, conflicting things that, like, either they were in, they had a really similar offer and he chose the Cubs, or there were other things that they didn't offer as much as the Cubs did um, for Darvish. So, who knows? And, I mean... I know I think I've expressed that I was nervous after watching him in the World Series, but uh, a lot of Cub fans have smartly pointed out um, John Lester's final start before joining the Cubs was uh, a disaster. If you Actually, you, I think you slept through this game, too, but the, uh, the wild card 2014 game. AL wildcard game. I slept through the end of the game. He gave up six runs in that game, so uh, that worked out okay for us. So, God, you go into, like, I don't know if anyone, can anyone else in baseball match the rotation? Lester, Hendricks, Houston Quintana. Can. Uh, Chatwood and Darvish. Uh, Houston, Cleveland, if they're all healthy. I guess so. But in those the National League, I mean, there's a lot I mean, of question marks in LA. Are they going to be planning the, on some of those young guys? Like the, the Nationals, if you get great seasons from like Joe Ross yeah. and I feel like the Nationals, they always have Strasburg and, and then, Scherzer, and then the rest of it could either go really well or really poorly. Last year went well, but like they have so many well, like Rourke always seems like a wild card. I don't know. I feel I feel good, but uh, so you think they're the best team in the National League now? I think so. I don't know. Like last year, I was looking at this today. I mean, obviously the Dodgers just blew everyone else out of the water last year. Although they kind of slowed down toward the end of the year. But looking at the standings, the, the Dodgers were the best. The Nationals, I think, had ninety-seven wins, and the Cubs finished with ninety-two. The Cubs like slept walk through the first half of that season. Like they clearly like they didn't want to admit it, but now they're kind of starting to be like, yeah, we were kind of burnt out from like the World Series and like. You know, because when you win the biggest championship in the history of a city, there were, it wasn't the baseball, I don't think. I think it was the, like, media stuff, the endorsement deals. you got to strike while the iron's hot. And I'm hoping now they've had a little quieter offseason. They don't have that excuse anymore. Hopefully they'll be fresh. John Mackey is no longer in the picture, so his uh, 40-year-old arm won't, won't be there. So I would think they're the favorites in the NL. But I also think St. Louis is a better team than it was last year. I don't think they're good enough to win the division, but crazier things have happened. Have you heard, though, about our new, about the new bird? Bud Norris. Bud Norris. <laughs> well, you, you said you were concerned about the bullpen. I mean, they certainly made moves to get guys in there. It's possible that they only watched the games of Bud Norris pitching against the Cardinals, where he is just an otherworldly, sure. just destructive ace. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that they only watched those, like, 20 games God, we can get Bud Norris for $3 million. Of course we'll do that. I mean, you did say you were concerned about the bullpen. They've made moves. They've gotten new new blood in there. Now, is it good or are they just kind of throwing stuff at the wall? I don't know. I mean, I feel like most bullpens in the major leagues, sure. at least to, at least at the beginning of the season, you're kind of throwing stuff at a wall. Uh, I feel like most, most bullpens, I mean, with the exceptions of, you know, guys with, you know, who overpay for closers who know that they have, sure. which is something that Mosaic has said time and time again. You know, they don't want to do. They well, it just seems to... like there's a high amount of turnovers compared to the average bullpen. Well, I think, you know, that probably, again, just guessing here, but I would think that comes partly from, you know, the fact they have Dave Duncan as your pitching coach for so many years who is mm-hmm. able to take not just starters, but, you know, bullpen guys and just kind of, you know, play up to their strengths and kind of get the most out of guys for um, for however long every ounce of baseball they had while they were in St. Louis. And so I don't know if that kind of 
you know, soaked into the culture of the front office and kind of, you know, just the idea that, you know, we can, oh, we can just pluck any old reliever and, you know, turn him in and get, get the most out of him for a season. Obviously, Duncan's, you know, long gone now. Um, and now we have Mike Maddox as the pitching coach, who will hopefully be a step up from you know, Derek Lilliquist. But it does seem like they have the mentality of, yeah, this will work itself out. Because it has before, so... Of all the things that I would make fun of the Cardinals for, that's not one of them. Because I feel like in 2018, MLB bullpens are kind of like... Uh, what's the thing when you draft your fantasy team and you have some really good guys and some really terrible guys? Every fantasy draft. Ever. No, it's, it's like stars and duds or something. Studs and duds? That would, that would rhyme, cool. I think at least. Yeah, I feel um, like either you're a stud or you're not. Like, we'll get some adva- advanced uh, fantasy knowledge scouting here from <laughs> Caitlin Swika. Either, either you have, you know, your big names, uh, you know, your Wade Davis or whoever that you're going to give a mega contract, or just kind of like anonymous young guys and who make a name for themselves. But I feel like, I don't know, I'm not faulting their bullpen uh, strategy, but... Well, so the other problem there, and, and this kind of goes back to like just the culture of the organization, it's like for years they had, you know, a brilliant manager, Antonio La Russa, who could just kind of mix and match and work with Dave Duncan and kind of just find combinations that work. And now you're trusting Mike Matheny to do the same thing. It's it's clearly not the same thing. Um, it's almost like Mike Matheny might be the problem. He might be a dumb dumb. <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, well, this is a novel idea. I'm gonna have to take a week to sit on this and think about it before. I, I would take that to the yet. Twitter sphere right now before uh, anyone else jumps on that <laughs> that steaming hot it. take. You're the first. Well. Anyway, it was good to have the hot stove back. Um, now that I'm not paying, I'm sure. Now I'm not paying attention. I'm sure. So you know, probably Jake Arrieta just saw him somewhere in the last hour. I don't really know, but um, hopefully this will kind of loosen the market up, and we need these last dominoes to fall because it is crazy. I mean, teams could. There's still some major guys out there that could be signed and really change a team. Yeah, Jake Arrieta could still end up a Cardinal, and I look forward to recording our next podcast when that uh, when that takes shape. I'm glad you got to enjoy uh, your small moral victory of uh, you, Darv, shining with the Cubs. I know I enjoyed my very real victory of the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. Well, and cheers uh, to the Eagles and cheers to the remaining peace in our household before baseball season starts up, which is really just right around the corner. you got a couple days here, and uh, pitchers and catchers will be reporting. All right. We've got uh, possibly only one and a half more months then of our relationship <laughs> and this podcast. So I'm keeping the ring. Hope, hope you all have enjoyed the ride. Uh, that's not how that works. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's start uh, thinking of some content for uh, some season previews and get our way on those hopefully soon. I'm looking forward to it. Talk about real baseball. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Fly, Eagles, fly. On the one last time. To Super Bowl victory. Go, go, go. I'm going to, no, I'm going to need some more enthusiasm from you on that. <laughs>